Amen. You can be seated. Great to be with you, church, this morning. Great to worship with you this morning. If we've not met, thank you, Rory. My name is Colin. I'm one of the pastors here, too. And uh, we're, we're in a series right now about the church. And we're talking about how the, the signs of the church, everything that we do, the practices that we do, what we do uh, with communion, how we uh, treat one another, that's important, but it's really saying something else about the, the future kingdom of God. And so today we're talking about how our loving service is a sign of the future kingdom. And um, one of the things I love so much about New Life East, what we get a lot of great feedback on, and maybe some of the reason that you're sitting here today is because our church loves one another. And so this is really an easy thing to talk about because I think that that this matters at New Life East. This is part of our culture of New Life is loving and caring for one another really, really well. And so when we talk about the church and our relationships with one another, and we talk about why serving is important within the congregation, I always hear in the back of my mind that that voice of saying, well, the church only serves itself. And what's important to remember is that uh, the spiritual gifts that God give us exist for the church. They exist to edify the body. And the one another's that scripture talks about all throughout scripture, if you know what I mean by the, the one another's, love one another, honor one another, all these, all these one another's. There are specific one another's that scripture says, these are the one another's of scripture. And then these are the one another's of how we treat those who are not within the church walls. And so today we're focusing on the one another's within the church. And then uh, later on in August, I think it's August 14th, we're gonna talk about the one another's outside the church walls. That's what we would consider hospitality. How do we show hospitality to this world? And so we are gonna, today we're, we're gonna anchor in Romans, Romans 12. So open your Bibles if you have it. Romans 12, we'll start at, Verse 9, it's also on the screen if you want to read along. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Let's pray together. Jesus, even in this space today, we humbly present ourselves to you. God, would you, be, would you be faithful? Would you show yourself faithful, Lord, as we have carved out this time to sit in your presence, carved out time to worship? God, would you speak to us? In your name we pray, amen. In uh, 1991, the animated version of Beauty and the Beast came out. And um, no, I didn't have a crush on Belle. But it was like 
it was an amazing movie. I went to see it in the theaters with my little sister. It was her birthday. And uh, you know how the movie starts. And the music of this one's like one of the best in many Disney movies, I've been told. And the movie opens with Belle and she is, you know, she's going through the city town and she's like, she's meeting the librarians, you know, and then there's the part where it's like, there must be more than this provincial life. And then we meet Gaston and Gaston is like, like, who is this guy? And uh, that's my favorite song of the whole thing. No one spits like Gaston, does something with his fists like Gaston. <laughs> if you're in a spitting contest, no one spits like Gaston. I'm especially good at expectorating. Oh, no one in all like Gaston. Oh. And then Belle goes, she's like, you know, she's just singing and singing. And then she goes up to the hill and she goes into the factory where Maurice, her dad is. And she's like, she's like, oh, Papa, I just don't belong here. And he's like, well, what about that? His eyes, and, boing, boing, boing. and he's like, well, what about that Gaston fellow? He's awfully handsome. And she's like, oh, he's handsome, all right. And rude and conceited. Oh, there's no one for me. And you know, um, so good. I would just do the whole movie with you if we had time. <laughs> Kill the beast. Oh, hold me back, man. And so we would, like growing up as a kid, we were reading Romans 12 and, and we would get to this part where it says, it says, do not be rude, be willing to associate with those of low position. And then we would just fill in the blanks, don't be Gaston. And it was this way for us, and for me as this little guy to like put into picture, oh, this is what Paul's talking about of all of this whole list represents all the opposite things of Gaston. And so Gaston gives us a picture of all the things to not to be. What Romans 12 is really talking about is the opposite of Gaston, which is, an, is humility. So we're going to talk about humility. Gaston's a wonderful example of what humility doesn't look like. But Jesus is a wonderful example of what humility really looks like. You've, Pastor Andrew talked about last week and how the kingdom of God really exists in relationship. We see it in the relationships in this room and uh, it, it can't exist void of relation. This is God's design for the world of where the kingdom of God is seen is in relationship. And so he, he talked to us last Sunday about confession of why confession is so important. We also in scripture know about humility because it says, you know, James talks about be, be slow to speak, be quick to listen. There's all kinds of postures of hospitality. Hospitality is also very important, even psychologically, because narcissism exists in a lack of empathy. And we can't be empathetic if we are not humble. So humility is so at the, one of the, at the core of God's call for us. And it's at the core of our ability to serve one another. And Jesus he, one of the things he was tempted with when he was in the desert was the, um, the temptation to display his power. Matthew 4, verse 6, Satan tempted Jesus, said this, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, and then Satan quotes Psalm 91, which is so interesting. Satan, the deceiver, even knows how to use scripture. 
He uses it out of context, but he'll say this. He says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Even Jesus fought the temptation to be spectacular. And now says this about Jesus and his posture. He said this on the screen for you. Jesus refused to be a stuntman. He did not come to prove himself. He did not come to walk on hot coals, swallow fire, or put his hand on the lion's mouth to demonstrate that he had something worthwhile to say. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. The world, the world fosters in us, even from such an early age, this idea of independence and spectacular. The earliest questions we, ask, we get asked or we ask ourselves is, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you love? What do you want? And then when we're 15, 16 years old, it was like, now when you have your own car, you can go wherever you want. I loved that about coming of age. I was like, this is, now I can do what I want. But what we see is Jesus' vision of maturity is so different than that. Jesus' vision of maturity is the ability and willingness to be led where you would rather not go. And don't we see that in the person of who Jesus was? You know, even in the last, his last hours, he says, his last days, he says, it's not my will, but yours be done. It's what you want, Jesus. Father, if you're willing, take the cup from me. The life of a Christian is not a heroic. It's not a heroic mission. It's doing life together. We walk in humility we also read this in Romans, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. We rejoice with those who rejoice, we mourn with those who mourn. What we see here is that there's, that Paul talks about a value of others. And uh, Jesus did the same thing. In fact, what we see here is that, um, you know, the obvious ways that Jesus used others is, you know, he was birthed into a family that involved Mary and Joseph, but he's constantly involving the work of others. Bonhoeffer says it this way, God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When, per, when one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. Even this, like this moment of me talking to you, is God using a person to communicate the things of his word to another person? You could think of times where, you know, there have certainly been times where God has spoken to me and impressed something upon my heart, but most often God is doing it through the work of another believer, of somebody else saying like, have you considered or be willing to challenge me. That is how God frequently speaks. You know, when I think about God's um, ability to use other people, I think about the example of when we are in great need. How many of you, and be honest, by show of hands, have spent the night in the hospital? Didn't you love it? You know, you put on that gown and you're like, oh, so many people have died in this thing, you know, it feels so good. And then the food, so good. You know, like I just can't wait for meal times at the hospital, you know, it comes to you and then you 
roll that tray over and you have to figure out how to use it every time. Does it go up or down? And it's like smacking the side of the bed. And then, and then you're, and then like they even, we even say it like it's a prison sentence, you know, can't wait to bust my way out of here. The hospital is a time when we are like our most vulnerable. You can't get anything for yourself. You don't know what, you know, like you're, and I think of a time when um, our oldest son, Palmer was two years old. We have um, three sons. The youngest is Banner and he's two and a half and and Banner weighs about 25 pounds. When Palmer was Banner's age, he weighed 15 pounds. That's a tiny, tiny little boy. And we knew that this was an indicator that something might be up. And we knew that he, we, we knew he had allergies or we couldn't figure out what it was. So we start a rigorous testing process with him. Starts with allergy testing and that revealed like a kind of, th- a few things, but it's still kind of ambiguous. And then we moved on to blood testing and that revealed some things, but still was really ambiguous. So we did more blood testing. And I remember a Saturday, um, this was early 2010 and um, we were in our living room we lived in northern Colorado and my phone rings and it's our doctor on a Saturday and I'm like well that's funny our doctor why, why is he calling just to shoot the breeze on a Saturday and so I answer it and she says hey she's really chill she's like hey I want I need, I need you need to go to the emergency room with Palmer right now and we said well that's a little bit I mean, like we don't need to like be alarmists here and she, I was like, it is Saturday. And she was like, oh, no, no, no. It's, every, it's probably fine, but I'll, I'll meet you down there. What we didn't realize is that she had just gotten all of Palmer's blood results back. And there was, you know, the doctors in this room will understand. I don't. But there's like your iron levels. And then like, there's like your reserve iron levels. I think it's called like your ferritin or something like that. And those were like at like the lowest level possible. And we show up to the ER. We still didn't really know that this was the situation. We show up to Children's Hospital in Denver and we just go to, you know, normal check-in and they're like, we don't have you in the system. And they, they say, we actually have you in the ER uh, right this way. So they take us across the hallway and it's a long walk. We get there. And as soon as the, we get there to, to check in, the receptionist says, oh, this is Palmer Stoddard. And they all go right this way. And we're like, this is the best customer service we've ever experienced. This is amazing. There's no triage. There's no nothing. And the nurses go to work. They put him, they put him on the bed. And he's so little. He's just, you know, Jenna's is holding him. And they rig up. Immediately they pull some blood. And they, they, I mean, they're not really communicating anything. And then pretty soon after the nurses run in and, and they just set up, start setting up a, bl- a blood transfusion like, and they're just like, ah, everything's fine. And they're, and what is amazing is that Palmer starts going from like tiny, just pale and this not thriving child to like, you could see that blood start coming into his body. He starts reviving. He starts having more energy. We're like this, and we're just watching. Shortly after the doctor comes in and she sits on the counter and she's acting really cool. And she's like, oh, so first off, this is the first we've heard it talk to anybody. Shit's on the counter. And she goes, she's like, first of all, how good is your insurance? And I'm like, look, lady, I don't care about our insurance. Like, tell me what is going on. She proceeds to tell us that she has, just has no idea. 
she says there, this is going to take rounds and rounds of tests. There's no indicators in him why his blood levels are so low. And it threw us into a tailspin this entire summer. They let us go home from the ER that night. They said, well, he's at least he's had the blood transfusion. He's okay for now, but we need to figure out what's causing this, what it is. And so the whole summer was spent with scans and the doctors have, having no idea. And we had a one GI specialist who decided to really intercede for us. And she was rallying the doctors at Denver Children's Hospital. And fast forward all the way to August. And um, finally, one scan finally reveals a shadow. And that's all they can tell us is it's just a shadow. And so they said the best course of action at this point is we're going to coordinate two parts of the hospital. We're going to coordinate um, the ultrasound people to really identify what we're doing. And then the surgeons are going to be there right as well. So it's going to be like two procedures in one. They're going to do all these scans and then they're just going to be ready to just go in and figure out what it is. And they said, but just so you know, like the, these kinds of things don't end well. We have, nobody knows what this is. And so at that time, I had an elder at our church named Mark Paulson and he called me and he, you know, they knew kind of what was going on, but we didn't really know what was going on. So we weren't really able to communicate it very well. And, and he said, um, I'm going to come down to, to Denver Children's Hospital and I'm just going to be sitting in the, the waiting room for you, waiting for you if there's anything you need. And my first reaction was kind of annoyance. was like, look, man, I don't have time to socialize. Like my, my nerves are shot. Like if this is, we are tunnel vision on, on Palmer trying to figure out what's going on. So, you know, the, the pre-op, I mean, it's just doing that with a two-year-old, it's just tough. And so finally, finally we see him back and we're like, finally, we're going to have answers. At this point, we're like, we don't, we don't even care what they are. We just want to know what they are. And um, Mark Paulson we, finds his way to where we are and he has in his hand coffee. And he hands me the coffee and he hands Jenna the coffee and he just sits down like normal. And for Jenna and I, we're like, all of a sudden somebody else's ability to just be normal in the midst of our chaos was like this balm, like this comfort, you know, that just came over the room. And he was back in surgery for four, about four hours. And we talked about like normal stuff. You know, we didn't sit there and be like, oh, we're just, can you worry with us? Okay, maybe if we worry more then this thing, we'll just get better. Like we, he, like, he didn't even pray. We just were like, we just were like, we're just, we're together in this. The beauty of this story is that they found something. It was not a cancerous tumor. They removed it. And we, he had a whole road of healing ahead of him. And God has healed Palmer and he's healthy and nine years old and sitting out in the front row. Thank you, Jesus. We're so, so thankful. But Mark Paulson just knew how to show up. And then we got home and, and our church at the time, they called us and they said, we have some stuff. Can we bring it over? And they sat with us on our living room couch and, she, and, and the family was like, hey, we just wanted to give you a gift card. And we we're like, thank you very much. And then she's like, here's one. And she starts like dealing cards. She hands out 50 gift cards, like 1500 bucks worth of groceries. And we're like, we're overwhelmed. Guys, Bonhoeffer says this the best. He was like, he says that the, the friendship and the, and the life of a, of a brother is of massive comfort to a Christian. 
you know, that's what Christians do. He also says this, he says like, that a Christian is a burden to the brother simply because he's a Christian. And I asked Mark Paulson shortly after, we just were remembering what God had done. I said, man, how did you know? How did you know what I needed? You know, in my mind, I was like, this Starbucks coffee was like magic. And he was like, I don't know. He's like, I just showed up. Can I tell you how many times being on this side of my life now in vocational ministry, when I get that call, which is like, I, when no one knows what to do, we have this saying in our house that's, that's show up, just show up, just be present and just be in the midst of whatever, whatever somebody's going through. Y'all, the, the life of a Christian is not a heroic mission. You know, you don't, you don't do it, you don't do it by yourself. We bear one another's burdens. You know, the, um, it's easy to do this when you like the person. <laughs> it's especially easy. You're like, oh, I like them. I actually care about them. But the hard thing is when you don't like the person. And the second part of Romans, Paul talks about that. He addresses it in this way. Let's move on to Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Guys, some of my earliest church memories involve conflict. Remember, my five years old, my parents were leading a Bible study, and the Bible study became really popular. And people started coming to just the Bible study and not to big church. And so, was that a, I mean, that might have been a problem. But my parents, you know, the church was like, they shut down the Bible study. And my parents were like, were, were like, serious? Like, this, that was conflict. And then the next church, it was like something else. You know what I mean? Like, that's like, you guys have been in church, I hope. Like, you know what I'm, like, we're not perfect here at all. Like, there is, there is conflict in church because we're real people. And I think that some people think that, like, you know, well, I'll wait to engage. I'll wait to give my heart to it until there's not conflict. And rightly so, some of you need to do that as a boundary that you've set up because there has been real legitimate hurt that's been done in the church. And our desire is a church to be a place that's a safe place where you can bring that hurt and where we can be a hospital to the hurting and we can help, help this be a place where you can heal. But that in and of itself proves that there's conflict. You know, there's conflict in this. And I think that, you know, we treat that as like a sign that it's outside of the will of God that there's conflict. But there's something we see so interesting in how Jesus chose to come into an evil world. And uh, I know I'm on a Bonhoeffer kick, but he just describes this so well. This is on the screen for you too. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of enemies. At the end, all of his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause he had come, to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian too belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. Man, this convicts me a lot. The incarnation shows us this. The incarnation of Jesus becoming flesh, 
make his dwelling among us. That action in of itself shows that Jesus comes into. He is a perfect person. He is able to handle himself well in the midst of conflict. But what he exemplifies for us is that there will be conflict. There's a, um, a profound story that Rory, Pastor Rory, recently told me. He was on staff at a church in Texas, and he was leading a discipleship group that he put together. And there was a gal named Tiffany in the group, and there's a guy named Derek in the group. And Tiffany was a district attorney. And as the group progressed, she got to hear more of Derek's story came to find out that Derek had a really rough past. He had been dealing drugs. He, um, in fact, was a convicted felon, and he had spent six years in prison. And as the details of Derek's life unfolded, she was, first of all, struck with, before she knew about his history, she was struck about how much he knew scriptures, how much he clearly loved the Lord and And then as she found out how much she loved Jesus, she was putting the pieces together and she had spent her whole career reading criminals' history and knowing that when someone's history is this, that that typically sets a projection for their life. And so she saw this incongruity behind, you know, what Derek's life should be and now what it had become. Furthermore, as the details unfolded and Derek began to share his story. It was just ringing a bell for her. She was like, I know this story so well and soon found out that it was in fact her who had convicted Derek as the felon. This whole court case was under her presiding. It's fascinating. And so as she tells the story, she tells about how She's now grappling with this. And she realizes that the only thing that matters in the church is that she and Derek were brother and sister in Christ. She's like, that's the only thing that matters. And so in this discipleship class, they had an opportunity to be baptized at the end of this time together. And as she was processing this, realized that she'd never said yes to Jesus in this way, never been baptized. And they had the option to choose who would baptize him. And do you know who she chose? She chose Derek. And so I don't know of a better story to describe the ability to be brothers and sisters in here. The relationships that exist in here are different than what exists out here. You know, I have seen, and even in in this room alone, the ability to, I've seen CEOs, owners of, of large corporations taking communion with somebody who's homeless. Guys, that happens in this room. We've, that is the kingdom of God. And you know, as we prepare our hearts to make the turn to communion, this is where we, we see this come full circle in what Jesus did. Because who Jesus invited to dinner at the table, the Last Supper, he did not invite only those who were his friends, who he got along with, who he didn't have conflict with. Who he invited was the betrayer. Judas, 
who was going to betray him only hours later was the one who sat next to him at the table. Guys, like, I don't love having people to my house who don't take their shoes off, you know? What Jesus shows us is, an, is, 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 the, is like the convicting model of how we are to serve one another's. How will they know that we're their disciples? By simply our loving service to one another. Scripture is by our love to one another, and we do that by our ability to serve one another. You guys um, received a communion packet as you came in today. And if you don't, feel free to grab one off the table. We're going to do this communion just a little bit differently today. Andy's going to just play behind us and lead us in a, in a song. But I, I think that our, our opportunity today is to receive communion on our own, to stay seated. And there's a few things to think about. The first thing is to just think about a moment of confession where maybe your life has been one of a, a, a display of the spectacular. Where Jesus said, no, don't put the Lord your God to your test. Where the decisions that you've made, the Enneagram 3 in you has prevailed. Where you have done it by your strength. And where that's been a motivator for you. There's a moment for you to say, not my will, Jesus, but yours be done. There's also an opportunity for you to receive grace. We cannot receive what we have not first experienced and tasted ourselves. So this is an opportunity for you to just taste and see that the Lord is good. For you to confess something in your life. Maybe it's a judgment towards somebody in your family, towards one another. But it's also an opportunity just to think about who's at your table. You know, is your table people who look like you? Is your table people who make you feel great about yourself? Or does your table include somebody? Y'all know the feeling of being betrayed? That's like a lot, lot, loss, excuse me, of trust. But the relationships that Jesus is able to restore and work in, he's bigger than those things. So as you're sitting right now, would you hold the elements in your hand if you've got them? Would you just take a deep breath and posture your heart before the Lord? Scripture says, a humble heart, O Lord, you will not despise. We are to walk humbly before our God. Jesus, I thank you. God, that you did not ask us to do something that you didn't first go and do yourself, that you didn't model for us, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you bore my sins on the cross. God, I thank you that you forgave me. I thank you, Jesus, that you serve me. God, I pray, Lord, for my, my family in this room. God, would you stir up some hearts, Jesus? Would you unroot any bitterness? Would you just begin to till that soil? Would you stir up words of confession from this room?
Confessing, my friends, is as simple as this, is saying, I'm sorry. Even though the person who you might be in conflict with, they might not even be in this room, but would you even say that? Practice it to your God. That's what scripture says. Would you confess your sins? What is he? He is faithful and just to forgive you from all unrighteousness. This is a moment for you just to receive his forgiveness. We confess, Jesus, that we've sinned against you. So my friends, sit. Sit in this quiet moment. You can unwrap your communion packets, take it when you want to. And Pastor Andy will lead us in worship from here.
Sing that one more time. I'll build my life. Yes, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I New Life East, would you hold out your hands to simply receive this blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Friends, there's no need to rush through this moment. If you find that the Spirit is still speaking to you and and you're processing things, please feel free to sit, respond to it. Our altar ministry team will actually be in the back of the room. So if you need someone to just talk with, to pray with you through this moment, we want to invite you to do that. For the rest of you, we will see you next week here at New Life East. Have a great week.